0: You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 155. I'm Randy Schuler.
0: I'm Perry Romanowski. And on
1: today's show, you're going to hear part two in our six-part series on biodegradability. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, interesting uh, you say that, but I do have a story about... Uh the buildup of cosmetic ingredients in the environment coming up in the the beauty science news section.
1: Oh, my God. That's the tease? Like, so the tease is, listen to today's episode so you can get more (laughs) of the same crap we talked about last week. All right.
0: Are you kidding me? We were maggoty with responses about how much people loved the last show.
1: (laughs) We did not get a single response. Uh, No, I will tell you what we're really going to... Are you eating a Cucumber? I'm obsessed with cucumbers. We're recording a podcast.
0: In fact, no, in fact, this is harvest time and I've <laughs> harvest time. Last two, Wait,
1: where did you get the cucumber?
0: I, I grew a garden. I've got cucumbers what? and tomatoes. Are you serious? I did, I did not know this. Seriously. I and in the last in the last week I've eaten 25 <laughs> cucumbers.
1: What is wrong with you?
0: <laughs> I like cucumbers. My wife doesn't like them, so I have to eat it all. <laughs> I feel obligated. I grew this thing.
1: Sorry, I'm, I'm almost done. No, but no, 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 because just... I'm sure this is much more interesting than actually talking about biodegradability. All right. No, we're, <laughs> we're not doing a six-part series. That was a joke. What we're really going to talk about today uh, is that we're going to answer questions from our listeners about acne testing, concentrated shampoos and conditioners, and hopefully, if we have time, stem cell creams.
0: Ooh, can't wait for that! <laughs>
1: All right. Well, should we? Since we've already sort of blathered on, should we get right to beauty science news? Yeah. Why well, don't? All worry, right, we? right. Here we go.
0: Hey, Randy. You remember? Remember when you went through that phase of lucid dreaming?
1: Oh yeah. It,
0: it was it was interesting because Randy would come to work every day with this. <laughs> This device was shot these red lights into your eyeballs or right. something yeah. like that? Yeah. <laughs> and you slept in it? Right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I tried to do lucid dream, but I, it's, it's typical between me and Randy. He'll buy all the equipment. <laughs> I won't buy any equipment. I'll just borrow his. Yeah. <laughs> Never worked for either of us, I think. Anyway, here's an interesting article I stumbled on, which discusses work that researchers did looking at the influence of smell uh, that it has on your dreams. Oh, So according to scientists at the University Hospital Mannheim in Germany, people who were exposed to the scent of rotten eggs during sleep, they had unpleasant dreams, while people exposed to the scent of roses had pleasant dreams.
1: (laughs) Once again, your research dollars at work.
0: (laughs) Well, in this highly scientific study of 15 women, (laughs) apparently in in the story they said that women have... Better uh, smelling ability than men, so that's why they
1: used women. Hmm, Interesting.
0: Ah. Uh, Anyway, 15 women. Because I I know I certainly
1: couldn't tell the difference between rotten eggs and roses. No.
0: Well, these researchers hooked these women up with tubes that they taped to their nostrils, and then they had them go to sleep, and then they monitored their brain activity. And when they hit that REM stage, Mm -hmm. the REM stage—that's like when you're dreaming. Rapid eye movement. They gave them a shot of either the rotten egg smell or the rose smell, and they had that that smell going for like 10 seconds. Well, then the scientists, they let them sleep for another minute, and then they woke them up and said, hey, how do you feel? (laughs) They had to describe their dreams at that moment and then rate the experience as positive or negative. And what they found, that the people who had just smelled rotten eggs in their sleep had these negative uh, feelings about their dreams, and the people who who got rose dreamed positively. So, <laughs> so, so they think this could be a potential treatment for nightmares or other sleep disorders, but I'm thinking this could be a whole new product category for fragrance makers. Right, yeah,
1: dream maker fragrances or something. That's interesting. Yeah,
0: put this on before you go well, to sleep. Well,
1: there are um, you know, pillow sprays you can spritz, you know, Spritz your, on your, your pillow. pillow with a little fragrance. I, I don't think it was they're necessarily intended to influence your dreams, but that's kind of a an, an expansion product. I, I like that idea.
0: But now maybe they maybe they should be marketed. Yeah, <laughs> and they, or at least look
1: And at. And what are the smell of lucid dreams? I think that's a that's a great <laughs> question. Uh, speaking of pillowcases, which are made of fabric, let's talk about clothing for a minute. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice transition. Remember in the early days of the Beauty Brains when we got called out by that pillow manufacturer? Oh,
1: for the we were... anti-aging pillow or the wrinkle, the wrinkle pillow. Yeah, because
0: yeah. yeah. we ranked higher for them in Google. Right, and they so got they all threatened
1: us. us, threatened to take down our webpage or whatever. Uh, but anyway,
0: uh. hey, we're still around, wrinkle pillow people.
1: Okay, can we get back to clothing for a minute? Because I, sure. I want to talk about SPF and clothing. So we we talk a lot about sunscreen products on the program, but I, I had not given much thought to the sun protection factor of clothing of garments. Now, fortunately, our friend Nikki at Future Derm has done that. Oh, okay. She published uh, what I thought was a very interesting article about sun protection from clothing now they call it they don't call it SPF they call it UPF or ultraviolet protection factor Uh, and here are a couple of key points that she made some of these are are kind of intuitively obvious but dark fabrics protect your skin better than light colored fabrics so remember that heavy fabrics are better than lighter textured fabrics similarly if there's a tighter weave it's better than a looser weave or a knit and then this is the most interesting. Synthetic fibers are better at protecting you from sun than natural fibers like cotton.
0: Huh so really? yeah.
1: So synthetic good, natural bad. Now, so if you're interested, you can you can look up ratings for different fabrics. There's a, a rating scale published by Arpanza which stands for the Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Agency. I would think they would have more important things to do than <laughs> to rate the UPF of clothing, but apparently they're all over it.
0: Uh, you know, I, I I just wonder about that because it's when I wear clothes, it doesn't really matter what the clothes is. It's not like I'm getting sunburned.
1: Yeah, but you buy <laughs> all cheap synthetic clothing, so of course you're going to be well-protected. <laughs>
0: Hey, wait a minute. A fair number of my wardrobe are free T-shirts that I got <laughs> at races. <laughs> uh, okay, Randy, I know we've been waiting for it. You remember our uh, our well-received biodegradability <laughs> show from last time?
1: How could I forget?
0: Well, here's a story that kind of looks a little bit at the same subjects, but specifically it was looking at whether the perfumes... Uh, will pollute the environment. Oh. And these researchers uh, looked at the canals in Venice. Okay. So, ever, so, do you ever wonder what happens to your fragrances in your soaps, your shampoos, your skin lotions? You know, usually they'll end up down the drain, right? Sure. Well, according to this study, uh, the fragrance part of those things, they end up in the water supply and they can persist for a relatively long time. Hmm. You know, especially if you live in a place like Venice, which has no sewers.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, that's a problem.
0: (laughs) Well, between uh, the the research, they carried out samples between uh, April and December of 2015. They collected water samples from 22 places between the inner canals in historic Venice and then this island off of the coast of Venice called Burano. Um, and they were looking for the persistence of 17 different fragrance uh, components uh, that are used, you know, in the cosmetic industry. And traces of the scented molecules have been identified in all of the places. But the concentration in the canals in the city were about 500 times higher wow. than those found in the, uh, the the outskirts of the city. Um, now... This, is, this just says that they found these compounds. They they don't really know the consequences of the buildup of these fragrances. Right. And at the moment, they aren't at levels that are toxic to marine organisms. But apparently, these ingredients aren't biodegradable. They bioaccumulate. So what does it all mean? I, I don't really know. It, it seems like these scientists were just looking to see if there was anything out there. And now they need to convince people to get more money to do more study and to find out if there should be anything that they do about it. But it seems like, you know, at least the fragrance portion of your cosmetics can build up in some water places. I
1: wonder, though, and not to belabor this, but if Venice doesn't have sewers, then where's all this stuff going? Like, to biodegrade, you need to have the right conditions. Like we talked about septic tanks and water treatment systems. So, yeah, if you're just dumping this stuff into the environment, sure it's going to bio persist because it has no chance to break down.
0: Well, they must not just dump it into the into the canals. I was I was in Venice, and there weren't little turds floating. Oh, God. So they must have okay, can we say
1: turd on the podcast? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Anyway, they they must have some uh, water filtration system, but apparently they don't have sewers.
1: Interesting. So so far, just for you guys uh, keeping score at home, we've learned two things in today's show. Number one, fragrance can make you dream better, but it can also poison our water supply. <laughs>
0: Well, it might poison the water supply. There's no evidence of that yet.
1: All right. Uh, Hey, did you know that uh, wearing mascara can make you more popular?
0: I did not know that, but that explains why I was such a recluse in (laughs) in high school.
1: Well, here's an article from Cosmetics Design discusses a Japanese-based company that's developing what they call, quote, an aesthetic shape-controlling mascara that will give you, and again I quote, enhanced social impression in Asia. Now, I'm not sure I totally understand this, but apparently this company, COSE, if I'm saying it right, uh, says that their studies show that women who wear mascara have a higher self-esteem and higher social status, and they link that to the curve of their eyelashes because that makes the eye appear bigger and more open. So big eyes equates to a greater social status according to this company. So, being the entrepreneurs they are, they've developed a mascara specifically to enhance this eyelash curl. So it uses water-based resins like you'd find uh, like in a hairspray formula. So sure, you sure. curl your lash first using a traditional eyelash curler, and then you use this special shape-holding mascara, and it holds the curl in place better. Your eyes look bigger. Voila, you're more popular.
0: Wow. I- I'm going to try so, that. Well, I don't,
1: that wasn't really the point of the story. The point of the story oh. is that it's an interesting trend based on Asian culture, and I wonder if that would ever make its way here.
0: I guess we'll have to look out for that, you know, right? Because a lot of uh, Asian culture, especially in the beauty industry, it makes its way over to the United States. Are you going to
1: wax poetic about Korean beauty products again, <laughs> Mr. Big Eyes? No,
0: we'll save it for the next show. <laughs> Hey, should we, do we have time for another story, or should we move on to questions? No, we got, let's
1: do one more, yeah.
0: All right. Uh, well, here is a story that I saw about this, this fabulous uh, new sunscreen applicator. It's uh, slowly making a little noise in the cosmetic industry. Now, f- for me, you know, putting on sunscreens is, is kind of a pain, right? You, you get the glob, right. and you squeeze it on your arm, and, you know, it gets your hands all sticky, right. and you don't even know if you spread it Right. right. Um, and I know I'm like all other people, so other <laughs> people must hate yeah, this. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> exactly
1: like you, eating 25 cucumbers <laughs> and measuring everything they do obsessively. <laughs> yes. Mr. Vox Popular. Well, Go ahead.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's because of my new curly eyes, lashes, right? <laughs> well, anyway... Um this That's probably one of the problems with sunscreens, is that people don't like to put them on because of the way it's applied. Sure. Now, the sunscreen sprays have been really popular. Now, to me, those are kind of a waste of money. I mean, because you, you lose half of the sunscreen out just right. the environment. Right, and, and there's some
1: question whether... To be effective, they really need to be rubbed in anyway, so then you still have to get your hands greasy, so what's the benefit? But, yeah, okay.
0: Exactly. Well, there was, there was some brilliant marketing there. Anyway, okay. Well, anyway, there's here's a new packaging design that might change that. It's called the Block Rock, and it looks kind of like an antiperspirant stick. Okay. So the idea is that you put your... you They fitted it where you could fit it to a, a sunscreen bottle or tube, mm-hmm. or you can squeeze the, the whole... The contents of your own container into this container okay. and then when you apply it, it just rolls on your skin you apply it okay. like it's a antiperspirant or deodorant and that way you don't have to touch the stuff right. but it gets put on it gets rubbed in at the right level and uh well it looks fabulous you, you put your sunscreen on uh there's no mess it goes in the right amount and uh we'll see if this takes off this could be the new way that people use sunscreens
1: it's a clever solution i'd like to see some data on spf testing with using that because how do we know it provides that that thick enough layer that you need i mean maybe it does but i would want to see data before i risked using that product
0: well certainly but uh, you know if you look at it as compared to just the way squeezable bottles are um, i mean the the, the SPF you get out of that really depends on your own skill at putting it on. So this doesn't rely on your own skill. It just relies on you rolling mm, it on. So interesting. We'll see. All Good right. luck to them. <laughs>
1: Good. Today's show brought to you by Strange New Sunscreen Package.
0: Theblockrock.com.
1: <laughs> All right, Perry, let's move on now to our cosmetic questions.
0: All right. Our second favorite part of the show. The, the, the first part being where we do the witty banter, right?
1: <laughs> I think actually just the <laughs> ending is my favorite part. <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, so first question.
1: Hi, Randy and Perry. This is Janelle. My question is, can you patch test a product for acne by only using the product on one part of your face? For example, I can buy a new moisturizer and instead of immediately using it daily on my entire face... I can only use it daily on one part of my face, let's say a left cheek, for a couple of weeks to see if it causes any breakouts. Can you really see if this is an effective way to test for acne on your face? Thank you.
0: Well, thanks for that question, Janelle. It's a great question, but patch testing for acne does not work, at least Short-term testing, Uh, you know, unlike allergic reaction, uh, or unlike an allergic reaction where you you, you know it occurs only in minutes or hours, the process of uh, acne genesis that takes just a lot longer.
1: Yeah, I checked with uh, Fisher's Contact Dermatitis, which is a reputable source of information on this area, and they say that acne can result from topical application of cosmetic products through two mechanisms. Now, that first mechanism is what's referred to as a true comedone. Remember, comedone is just a a technical term for a blackhead. And that process takes several months to develop. The second mechanism is the result of follicular irritation, and that takes a couple of weeks to occur.
0: Oh, so a patch test that involves leaving a product on your skin for only a few hours or even a few days, it's not going to actually predict whether or not you're going to break out.
1: Yeah, even if you could patch test and, and leave it on or reapply it You know, I'm, I'm not sure I'd trust the results because it, it could be based on a false negative because you're doing it on a fairly small Area of skin that you apply it to now, you know She said she's applying it. She asked about patch testing, but then she said she's applying yeah. it over one cheek for several weeks I mean at some point you're just using the product I mean, that's not really a patch right. test if you're putting it on half your face for several weeks a, a patch test would be a um, you know, a very small area of your skin that you do to get some kind of quick read on it. That's traditionally right. what, you know, how a patch test works. So she's describing something a little different.
0: Well, we shared this response with Janelle via email, and she asked this follow-up question. Now that I know that it takes at least several weeks to a few months to know if a product is breaking me out, is there a way of isolating which product is breaking you out? Is that even possible?
1: You know, it's, it's difficult. I mean, trying to isolate which specific product is breaking you out, it's, it's not very practical because you can't really do um, long term single variable tests on yourself very well. Um, I mean, is anybody really going to take a single product, put it on their face, on one side use nothing on the other side leave it there for you know several weeks or months either without washing your face or with you know reapplying it on, and then you can't wear any other makeup or you can't put sunscreen i mean all those things would confound the results right you need to look at one product versus nothing, and then test another product versus nothing. Right.
0: And you have to repeat that process for every product that you're, gonna, you're going to evaluate. Even if you did all that, you still can't really control for other factors like hormonal changes, changes in your diet, the population of the demodex mites yeah. on your face.
1: <laughs> Forgot about the demodex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, doing a half-face test controls for some of those things, but it's still, it's just, it's just not very practical. I mean, about the best you can do, and this is not a great answer, but it's the best we got. You can buy products that are labeled as non-comedogenic. Now, even that is no guarantee, because the testing that's done to determine whether or not a product will give you acne, it's not very definitive.
0: Right. We're talking, And we're talking about a rabbit ear essay. Um, in fact, there are some people who say that the test is not predictive at all. Yeah. So at best, it, it can give you some guidance. Now, they're working on uh, skin cell cultures right. to, to replace the rabbit ear assay, but uh, you know that, that technology doesn't exist yet. So this is the best we got. Yeah, yeah,
1: so the bottom line is that acne testing, whether it be patch testing or uh, rabbit ear ingredient testing, very difficult, very imprecise, but you probably don't want to waste your time trying to do it yourself. All right. Very good. We've got uh, a next question that comes to us from one of our dude listeners. It's from Scott.
0: All right. Well, Scott says, I use a shampoo and conditioner by Purology, and on the front of the bottle, they claim the products are concentrated formulas. Do you know if this is true or not? Is it possible to formulate shampoos and conditioners in a way that makes them more concentrated?
1: I mean, I, I mean a, a claim like that, it's, it's kind of meaningless because it doesn't provide a comparison to anything else. I mean, it's more concentrated than what? Our a competitive Correct. product, our earlier version of the formula. I mean, and even if it is true, what's the benefit? Are they claiming it works better because it's concentrated? And again, works better than what?
0: Now, I can think of a couple of applications where this might make sense, right? The the first case of deep cleansing products where a slightly higher surfactant load is justified, right? Yeah. Although, you know, most shampoos by themselves are going to have plenty of cleansing power.
1: Yeah, we used to do, when we would do a deep cleansing version or a clarifying version of a shampoo, we would boost the surfactant level a little bit. So, I I guess you could argue that's a more concentrated version. Whether it, it was demonstrably better, I'm not so sure. All right. Um... The second case where this might make sense is from a sustainability point of view. So you theoretically could make a product more concentrated so you get more uses per bottle, which reduces packaging waste. And I've seen this used successfully in dishwashing soaps and laundry detergents.
0: Right, but you have to realize that there are some negatives associated with increasing the concentration, right? And hair care products have to have the right aesthetics or they don't really feel right on your hair. And it's, it's tough to make a highly concentrated product that isn't hard to disperse through your hair.
1: Yeah, it's, it's different when uh, it's a dish soap or a laundry detergent where the viscosity, it doesn't really matter that much. You're dumping it out. It's pretty thin. Um, usually dispensing it from a cup or from a bottle or something, but when you're, you know, right,
0: a, you're me- you're measuring how much you're right. using. You don't you don't measure in shampoo. Well, really.
1: it's that, but it's also you're taking it from the, you know, you're in the shower, you're applying the product from a bottle typically into your hand, and then from your hand to your hair. So it's got to have a certain consistency, such that it remains in your hand during dispensing, and then it disperses easily through your hair as you're rubbing it in. So, to make a formula more concentrated and still get those dispensing aesthetics, it's a little bit of a different you know challenge than it would be from, let's say, a laundry detergent. Right. And then you have to consider that some ingredients just don't work well at higher concentrations. For example, polyquaternium 7, which is a great conditioning agent used in shampoos, first of all, it can build up on hair if you use too much. And secondly, at higher levels, it can make the product very stringy or what we used to call pituitous. You know, I I actually had forgotten. that. That's one of my favorite words. You know what the definition of pituitous is?
0: Uh, no. What, what, what?
1: Consisting of or resembling mucus. <laughs> that's a great <laughs> pituitous. word. Pituitous. That's a great word.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, um, so in most companies, uh, in most cases, when a company tells you their shampoo is more concentrated... It's, it's probably just a marketing gimmick <laughs> yeah. I mean the bottom line is it it could be true but it's probably pointless right
1: so there you go Scott don't spend more on a hair care product just because they tell you it's concentrated all right Perry let's uh, take a quick break and do a couple of iTunes reviews we didn't get to do those last week
0: that's right and uh, the the audience was really uh, really mad about that too
1: <laughs> so Shino Buchan um, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that poorly, but from Australia, says... Very informative and brilliant show. Five stars. Randy and Perry are like my besties when it comes to beauty. I trust them and nothing else that any fancy packaging or ad campaign will ever tell me. Oh, well, that's
0: very nice. Speaking of nice, Blonde Nikki says... Educates while entertains. Five stars. Uh, This show has taught valuable lessons. For example, it's okay to have lead in your lipsticks and have answered (laughs) other beauty questions I've been dying to know. She just did a
1: book (laughs) plug for us right there. That's awesome. Thank you.
0: What started out as a way to keep me entertained at work has also given more insight into the cosmetics I use. I'll never walk into the store the same way again.
1: Excellent. Thank you, blonde Nikki.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what we want
1: out of this show. You know, We're trying to help people. All right, let's get back to a couple more questions. Uh, we have one from Lee who asks, I need to know if New Gene Universal Serum is worth the astronomical price of $300 a bottle. Is there a comparable wow. product for less money? <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, yeah. $300 a bottle. Right. Well, this product is based on stem cell media. Mm. <laughs> uh, we've talked about stem cells before, and science says... That they don't work when applied from topical products. Mm. In fact, here's a recent article on the very topic, which we'll uh, will uh, link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: it, all the research says that they don't really help your skin anti-age. Uh, the product also contains four different peptides. Now, peptides are promising ingredients that do have some data that indicate they have anti-aging properties, like. Uh, stimulating collagen production, slowing the breakdown of some of the the things that contribute to the the structure of your skin being, um, you know, broken down or lost. But, you know, there are plenty of cheaper peptide products on the market. And I, to be honest, I was too lazy to track any specific ones down. But if you just Google products that have some of these peptides that you see in the ingredient list, you'll be able to find some cheaper versions.
0: And we did a whole show on peptides. Go back which you can go and go back yeah, in listen our to an
1: episode. Blah, 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 whatever.
0: <laughs> Boy, you know, you know, we need a, a show producer oh, to go. Oh, a showrunner. We need up. a showrunner. If, if anyone's interested in being a show producer or runner, you, you let us know. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, New Genes, uh, their website includes a link to clinical studies in which their products were tested. Uh, now, the single-blind, half-face test a- against nothing. <laughs> the results show that their products moisturize, reduce fine lines and wrinkles, uh, et cetera, and better than no treatment at all. Wow. Well, I, I mean,
1: <laughs> most anti-aging products are going to give you similar results to that, right? So I, yeah. I, I certainly... I mean, look, this may be a perfectly fine product. I just don't see anything compelling that shows the product is worth $300. Um, they did do one... Unusual study though that showed the product, uh, impacts gene expression. Now this was done in vitro, which means it was done on, you know, human cells or I don't know it was human cells or animal cells in the lab. So that doesn't necessarily translate to real life. This was not a a test where they applied the product to, to skin and, and saw that it impacted gene expression. So in any case, I say, save your money.
0: I mean, if you're going to spend $300 on skincare. It, you might as well save a few more three hundred dollars and just get a facelift, right? <laughs> you,
1: know, <laughs> uh, you, you might have to save up quite a bit, but you know when it's three hundred bucks, and usually these are—I don't—I don't know about this product, but they're—you know—for an ounce or two, right? These are not—you right. know—thirty-two ounce right. bottles, right? Exactly. So it's three hundred dollars an ounce, and if you're applying that, you know, you need to use these products daily uh, to see the types of benefits that you typically see Man. from anti-aging products. So how long is an ounce or so going to last you a month, maybe? So. Three hundred dollars a month. Yeah, you could save up in a year, and you could have plastic surgery,
0: or even get an iPhone. Really,
1: <laughs> huh? right?
0: Isn't iPhone cost about three? No. Uh, oh, I meant the iWatch. Well, anyway, you know, you know. Speaking of watches, I'm looking at the time here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we're done for today. Although we could talk about uh, a book review if you have one.
0: You know, I I gotta tell you, I was just gonna start on that fifty-first uh, book, but. Uh, I just couldn't do it. I uh, I wanted to listen to podcasts instead. Some um, of our old podcasts, and you know, quite frankly, I've been doing a little quality control back listening. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I think you edit it to make me not sound as uh, as smart as I think
1: I am. <laughs> That's not particularly hard to do. I my theory is that you don't have a book review because you were too busy eating cucumbers. But just my theory. Whoa,
0: cucumbers. Well. <laughs> If you're interested in audiobooks and want to hear about any of the 50 that I read before, uh you can you can check out those books at audibletrial.com/beautybrains and that helps actually helps support the show. You can listen to our own book, The Beauty Isle Insider, read by a fabulous woman. I I, I never met her, but her voice sounds much better than our own, right? <laughs> Anybody <laughs> sounds wrote better it. than us. <laughs> Anyway, you can listen to the Beauty Isle Insider and get a, a free copy of that by signing up for a, mo- a monthly subscription for audible.com. Go to audibletrial.com beautybrains today.
1: And if you're listening uh, if you're interested in listening to more news about beauty science, come back next week. You're eating another cucumber. I can't believe it. We're not even done. We're, we're just about finished. Can't you wait?
0: All right, all right. All, all right. right until, I, thought, I thought you were done. Until,
1: no. I'm done when I say, <laughs> until next week, remember, be briny about your beauty.
0: <laughs> all right.